The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. We've got all the non-white people in the world have white folks convinced that they're racist. <laughs> we have them so scared to notice anything of color that they're afraid to describe things accurately now. I was working at this comedy club. One of my black friends came down to hang out with me, and the doorman comes up and goes, hey, Russell, one of your friends came by. I go, was it a black guy? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't notice. <laughs> I mean, you didn't notice. What did he look like? He was tall, <laughs> curly hair. <laughs> what was his name? Uh, Leroy. Was he black? <laughs> he could be. I mean, maybe. I don't know if you say he's black. Maybe he was. I don't know. I... That was Indian-Canadian comedian Russell Peters, whose observation about certain behaviors from white people could be considered evidence of the phenomenon known as white guilt. The human rights violations perpetrated by the institution of white supremacy in the United States have been taught to students for many decades, and there have been numerous ways to try and figure out a way to offset that damage and somehow balance the cosmic scales. Programs such as busing and affirmative action are legal ways in which minorities have been granted higher representation in education and the workplace. Since the election of Barack Obama to the American presidency and the subsequent election of Donald Trump, the lives of minorities in the United States has been brought into sharper focus. The world of entertainment, especially movies and television, has been particularly proactive in ensuring higher representation for minority stories with minority characters. On this episode of ARC, my guests Karen L. and Josh Thomas relate to me their experiences with black representation in movies and television over the years. Later on, we give our impressions of the latest phenomenon in not only comic book adaptations, but of black representation on the silver screen, Black Panther. This is ARC. God blessed To the movies, to good movies every possible kind. You shall not pass! Make it so. Where are my dragons? You're Not for you! Welcome to Earth. Stick around. No slices for white. Clever girl. And they mostly come at night. Mostly. I'm 37! Are you the key master? I'm Omar. Who the hell are you? Omar! Omar, 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 Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Arts Review and Commentary. My name is Omar Latiri and thank you very much for listening. As always, this show is brought to you by ARC's Amazon page. Click on the Amazon button at artsreviewandcommentary.com to help this show and all the other shows in the Realm Network continue to produce free, on-demand content. Additionally, this show is brought to you by Fandango. Now, with me in the studio today are my good friends, Karen L. and Josh Thomas. How are you guys doing? Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. So, Karen, we met each other doing a show, the same show that I did with Wendy Barrett and Lee Rawls, uh, who were guests on the show a few episodes ago. We did the show Omnium Gatherum. This was back uh, last year in 2017. You were a last-minute replacement. Yes. <laughs> And you did a fantastic job. Thank you. An amazing job to memorize a play's worth of lines in just a few days. What, two weeks? Mm-hmm. 
less than that. No, I think I had maybe less than a week to get off book. It was great. And yes. and you nailed the character and you had the chemistry with everybody. And it was a pleasure to work with you. Same. Josh, are you involved in theater? Involved? I'm, I'm a spectator. I'm a great <laughs> spectator. Now, it's okay if I mention that you two are dating. Yes. Yes. How long have you been together? Officially three years. Oh. <laughs> okay, I, I, I'm giving him an eye, but I'm, I'm not, the, the eye is all I need to give. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode is going to be uh, mostly about representation of, let's see, I was about to say black Americans, but that's a little too specific, but black uh, people in general in popular entertainment over the years and the uh, second half of the show will be about our reactions to Black Panther, which has just blown away box office uh, results in the past few weeks. But before we get to that, are there any movies or television shows or works where you felt that this is just absolute garbage as far as the depictions of black people are concerned? Or ones where they, they got it right? Anything that sticks out? Well, the first thing for me is uh, something we were talking about actually on the way here. Um, Karen had asked me, like, my favorite characters. And, well, she asked me my favorite Marvel character. And I said Spider-Man, but also I realized I didn't really have a connection with him in the same way that I did with some characters that I, that I, I guess, met later. And the biggest one was Static Shock. Mr. Hawkins, I'm glad to see you're okay. You can drop the act, Virgil. You know? Wasn't hard to figure out. Why else kidnap me to get to static? And maybe, maybe in the back of my mind, I've always known. Oh, Pops, I never meant to put you in danger, I swear. I know that, son. I don't blame you. But it's quite a shock to find out your son's a superhero. That was the first time I actually saw myself in a character. And I didn't, it didn't feel fake. It didn't feel forced. It didn't feel like it was pretending to be something else. Like I could look on the screen and see him and be like, that's like, I could be that character. Like the heir apparent to Black Lightning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I never got into uh, Static that much, except when it crossed over with uh, Justice League. Mm. And it was great to see his character come on, like on Justice League Unlimited. And uh, it was uh, one of the things that, that, seem to be a constant with black superheroes, at least in the DC universe, is that they all had the same power. They were all electric-based. <laughs> it's like Black Lightning, Static, Black Vulcan, Juice was another one. I mean, they were all like uh, copies of each other right. in a way, but <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. It's like electricity is a uh, black superpower. <laughs> right. <laughs> Have you been watching Black Lightning? Yeah. 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 And we'll get into that in a little bit when we get to uh, Black Panther, because cool. there are some interesting compares and contrasts Definitely. with that. Um, Karen, what about you? Comic book characters or just in general? In general. We're talking about representation here. Well, I know that definitely I've seen some things where I wasn't pleased with the depiction of black characters. I can't come, nothing comes to mind right now. But when I saw Luke Cage, I was excited about that. Um, the same thing with um, Black Lightning. Um, and mm -hmm. as a kid, I guess speaking from comics, as a kid, um, I guess I 
didn't read them much. The most I read were like Archie comics, which I loved. And my stepdad, I remember he had a box of um, old comics from when he was a kid. And so um, I read them. I remember them being the Fantastic Four and some other characters. Um, and they weren't like, he didn't have like whole collections of them, but I really got into them from that. And then um, as I got to into middle school, I was more so into anime. Mm. Um, started off with Pokemon and Sailor Moon and followed up with the Toonami stuff and got into some other ones. I even wrote my own fan fiction based on nice. Sailor Moon. But I do remember being, um, I guess, feeling some type of way that there weren't characters that looked like me in anime. So I would draw my own and I would try to make my own comic characters they didn't have superpowers but of characters that look like me and also other people of other ethnicities that I wanted to see more representation of like um I had a character that was like Asian one that was like Latina and of course back then it wasn't as um I guess there wasn't as much specificity in different types of um ethnicity so I just had like an all-around Asian all-around Latino but you know I wanted that um, you wanted a racial mix-up, you know, uh, something that was, you know, you wanted a, a diverse mm-hmm. uh, cast. And it didn't matter whether a person was Chinese, Japanese, Korean, or whatever. It had to be Asian, and that would incorporate mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You you look, when I, when I say that, you look kind of ashamed of, of it. Well, well, just because I know that people have, like, specific, like, from specific countries... I guess, um, you know, instead of saying Asian, you some people probably identify as like Japanese mm-hmm. and Chinese or um, Salvadorian or Guatemalan instead of Mexican. I have this um, memory of um, when I was maybe in middle school, my stepsisters and I were like walking by and I saw uh, some kids playing together, younger kids. And um, I was like, oh, that's so cute. It's a a white girl, a black girl, and a Chinese girl. And my stepsister corrected me and said, Asian, you don't know if she's really Chinese. And I felt bad because I was like, that, that's <laughs> the only way, way I knew to identify right. them. But from uh-huh. then on, I made sure to be, I guess, more specific and um, I guess sensitive to that. Being half Asian myself, I never really had a big problem with the word oriental. Mm-hmm. But a better term, I figured, would be East Asian. Because Asia is the largest continent in the world, all the way from Turkey and Israel and Saudi Arabia to Japan. So, technically, somebody from Tel Aviv is an Asian. Hmm. Somebody from Mecca is an Asian. And, um, you know, you don't think of somebody like uh, Aziz Ansari as an Asian. Hmm. So, uh, that's why I never really liked these weirdly broad terms. Now I'm going to ask you this. Define black. Hmm. (laughs) Maybe a month or so ago, I would have had a definitive answer. So I used to, I guess, see black as more so um, someone who was, of course, of African descent, but not necessarily directly. So maybe several generations removed and I encompassed that of people like from all over the diaspora and I saw African-American as maybe someone like more directly related like first generation or so but now I guess I I want to include that African in my how I label myself 
because I'm exploring that more. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that mean to you then? African-American? Yes. African-American, it just, to me, means that I, that's where my ancestors came from. And that is a part of me, even if it is um, some generations removed. Mm-hmm. Josh? The, the greater question or the, more the African-American? Well, the, the specifically black. Okay. I would say that I see black as people who are, I want to say direct descendants of Africa, but it's like, what does direct mean? So people who, I guess, were dispersed or people who were from the continent, sub-Saharan Africa, or dispersed through the slave trade is people that I would consider black. And then, of course, that does get kind of questionable mm-hmm. when you break down into how much, you know, and then you get into uh, Afro-Latinas and things like that. It's, but um, I guess my, my broad definition is, is people from sub-Saharan Africa. It, it is easier to label somebody black as somebody with a, a you know a certain phenotype a certain melanin content and what do you think of the term african-american like who would that apply to personally i see that as as well the african in that title as a placeholder for kind of the unknown meaning that most of the people that that term applies to do not have a direct line to their history um, and that it was lost. And so instead of being able to say Nigerian-American or Senegalese-American, we have to put that African there because we don't really have, we don't have the knowledge of what country we actually came from. Now, because my father is from Africa, technically that would make me Mm African-American. But that uh, designation doesn't apply to me. And I would say the difference there is that he knows what country he came from, so he can mm-hmm. always put that in front of there, and that can also then, I guess, be passed down to you as well. Then here is another question. How would one label Barack Obama? He knew where his father came from. He right. is the first-generation American, and his father came from Kenya, a country that was not part of the Middle Passage. So there is the... Uh, I mean, there were think pieces uh, back when he was running... Uh, claiming that he wasn't truly the first African-American president. Right. Would you agree with that assessment? I don't agree with the assessment, but I understand the argument. I think a lot of what made him, or, or hmm, that's the best way to say this, I, I think what gives him, I guess, that pedigree, if we want to call it that, is his experience in America, and that he grew up facing a lot of the same oppression that, other people who are black in America face. And I think that shared experience is what gives them that. What do you think, Aaron? I agree. And I guess that brings me back to how I define black versus African American. I guess in this country, I feel that, you know, if if you look a certain way, you look like you have some African ancestry, Mm -hmm. you're basically black. Mm -hmm. So to me, that would qualify as being, you know, the first black president, even if, you know, he has other things in his background, his Mm -hmm. um, genetic genetic background. Do you believe in the one drop rule? Um, yes and no. Like, I feel like maybe, um, your blood or what's in your DNA and your experiences kind of shape your identity, I suppose. So this is and and these are all really loaded and complicated <laughs> yeah. questions, and they're meant to be <laughs> right. because we're trying to figure out 
how one identifies oneself?、Mm-hmm. And is it simply skin color? Is it origin of your ancestry? Is it if your ancestors were brought over as slaves or not? Is it whether, like, when you say Africa, do you mean the entire continent or sub-Saharan Africa?、Mm. Is it also because of how you identify? Are there certain things that you then choose to、uh, be a part of in terms of culture? Like, for example, music, fashion, literature,、uh, television shows. There's things that are marketed specifically toward Black Americans, if not Blacks in general. And、oh, I remember watching an episode of The Real World. What was that dude's name?、Um, Tech. Tech Money. <laughs> wow. Okay. That was like the first one. <laughs> yeah. I remember him saying something that because of his, he said, because of his melanin content, he. Had to behave a certain way, like he had to listen to certain types of music,、hmm. and I, I, you know, being of mixed race myself, was like that is really limiting.、Mm-hmm. Do you see that happening in the broader sense of the world? And it doesn't have to be just with blacks; it can be with others. I definitely saw that growing up. I wouldn't say it meant as much to me as it, as it apparently meant to him.、Um, there are certainly things that were said that were, you know, white things and things that were black things. But also, I think I had enough people around me to kind of guide me and to tell me, you know, these that were not so narrowly defined. But also, I see that in the age that we are in now, where everything is so interconnected, that a lot of people are being able to branch out from what maybe used to define their culture and to be able to just find what they like and what fits them.、Mm-hmm. Oh, here we go. Here's a question. Define black culture.、Mm. That's probably more difficult than defining <laughs> <Yeah> . blackness. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. So we have,、um, you know, you can look to music,、uh, of course, hip hop and R and B, jazz to、uh, for an historical、uh, to an historical extent, and then there are like television shows、mm-hmm. what, that were considered. Black TV shows, yes, like say Living Single, Martin. Yeah. When I think back on that, I think, like, am I supposed to be watching this or supposed to not be watching this? Is this meant for a specific audience or is this meant for everyone to enjoy? First of all, I think you can watch whatever you want to if you enjoy it, and just because something I think is marketed to. Maybe a certain group of people doesn't necessarily mean it should exclude everyone else.、Mm-hmm. I know people who aren't black but grew up watching those shows.、Um, as a matter of fact, a friend of mine commented on something I posted on Facebook.、Uh, she's not black, but she mentioned Zamunda, which is from the movie Coming to America.、Mm-hmm. And I was like, "What you know about Coming to America?" But、um, <laughs> yeah,、I've, clearly she watched it, and you know, maybe she liked it. So. I don't know, and that's the thing I think. Not to jump ahead, but that I liked about Black Panther, and even what I was concerned about. But thankfully,、um, from what I've heard of other from other people who aren't black, they enjoyed it too. That that movie I think had some stuff that was marketed toward maybe、um, Black Americans and Africans, but 
it was also packaged in a way that anyone could enjoy it. But there was, I mean, you could find it if you search. If you search for anything, you'll find it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm not talking about white people who like were saying racist stuff about Black Panther. I'm talking about like well-meaning white folks who didn't want to spoil yeah. Black Panther for everybody else by like being the white person in the <laughs> movie theater. And I'm like, really? Yeah, it's like, I mean, we're not paying attention to you. We're just glad we got, we're seeing ourselves on screen. And as a matter of fact, you better show up and help support the movie so that it can get those open weekend dollars. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was actually happy to see more. I mean, I didn't see that many, honestly, because of where we went. But it was, I wanted to see more of a diverse crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, so they can get that experience as well. Not just seeing the film, but seeing the film in an atmosphere that they're not used to and seeing what it was like for people who the film may have affected in a different way and how they reacted to it and, and whatnot. Like there were certainly like reactions that happened when we saw it in Hyattsville and when we saw it in Atlanta that I don't think I would have seen, uh, seeing it in Silver Spring or seeing it in (laughs) Alexandria or somewhere. And so I think being able to have that experience as someone who's, um, I guess not black would also have been maybe eye opening to them to see like how certain things affect people, certain people or it, it's, it's like interesting that. you bring that up because that speaks to a cultural difference hmm. between uh, certain audiences. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is uh, one of those things where does acknowledging a cultural difference make one racist? For example, talking during a movie. You want to tackle it? <laughs> so your question was does acknowledging a cultural difference make one racist yes i don't think so not on the surface but if you're using it maybe acknowledging it in a condescending way or maybe mocking it or mm-hmm. being yeah. insulting then i think so back to representation <laughs> do you guys watch game of thrones yes, yes. i do <laughs> okay <laughs> does it upset you that there are very few black people on game of thrones I would like to see more, but it doesn't upset me because I still enjoy the storyline. It's still mm-hmm. good. I still like yelling at the TV and uh, yelling at Cersei <laughs> to die because I really want to see her die in the worst way. But I love, there are characters I love. Like, I love Tyrion. I love Danny. Even though they don't look like me, I can still relate to them in some ways. And, and I think that that's where, where I'm going. Um, there seems to be, at least, you know, like on the blogosphere, that... Something comes out, something gets popular, and all of a sudden the criticisms that are laid on whatever's popular uh, are of some sort of exclusionary thing. Like, you know, um, Harry Potter became, you know, really big. Then it's like the criticisms are, well, where are the people of color? Mm-hmm. Um, even though there are people of color in, mm-hmm. in, in except that uh, the main trio are not. Let's see. Another one that uh, is starting to get, which, you know, boggles my mind, is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There were, you know, before Black Panther came out, it's like there weren't any black uh, superhero leads in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The implication being that the producers were racist or something like that, or they were ignoring it. And I found that to be very short-sighted considering that from the first Iron Man, where we had Terrence Howard and then Don Cheadle, but even after that, 
the end credits, the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., the blackest actor in the world, <laughs> Sam Jackson, comes out and he is a mainstay of the Marvel Cinematic yeah. Universe. I recognize the council has made a decision, but given that it's a stupid-ass decision, I've elected to ignore it. Yeah, if anything, he's the, the thread that kind of ties most of them together. Right. So, yeah. I mean, is there ever just something in the back of your head going, you know, I need more, I need more, this isn't enough? To me, it's when there, there's, a, there's something that has source material, where it has a comic, it has a book, or it has even lore that it comes from. And then when it's translated to film, something is lost. Like when a character is specifically stated has, you know, dark skin, mm-hmm. and then on film, we have someone who's not that. I think that's kind of what I have issue with because it's like there there are very few times that you get to see someone who actually does look like yourself. And although I can place myself in other people's shoes, it is refreshing to not have to, I guess, do the mental work of doing that. It's easier to just look and see like that looks exactly like me. And then when you have that in a character that you love and then that character gets changed, like I think that can be very upsetting. I remember when X-Men Apocalypse came out and they cast Oscar Isaac as apocalypse and that bugged me because i mean this guy's supposed to be egyptian and they cast a guatemalan as if like okay so i guess he's brown enough (laughs) and it's it's that type of knee-jerk casting like to fulfill some sort of political politically correct quota that i find kind of insulting (laughs) How did you feel about Black Panther? So I read different articles about how they incorporate, it was kind of pan-African. They incorporated different um, styles and costumes from African cultures, but they mostly seem to be sub-Saharan. I was talking to my boss um, earlier today about the movie and she's Moroccan. And when I think of Africa, I generally think of sub-Saharan Africa and I don't think of North African countries, partially because the little bit that I learned about the continent in school, it was um, it mostly s- included those countries with uh, North of uh, the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And at my job, which will rem- remain nameless because I want to be ratchet. Um, <laughs> we work in different regions and they're divided. Um, they divide, they couple North Africa with the Middle East and um, the Africa region usually is preferred to sub-Saharan Africa. Right. So. You were going to ask me something. Yes. Like how, how did you feel like watching Black Panther? Did you feel kind of excluded and just like, I guess, everything surrounding Black Panther? Do you feel kind of like North African countries are misrepresented? It's. Um, or not represented? That, that's a very good question. And it's something that I've been uh, dealing with for a lot of my life ever since the term african-american became uh the default term to use for black americans because africa is an entire continent Mm -hmm. uh, but it is not uh as i said before it doesn't refer to people like me doesn't refer to people from morocco algeria tunisia libya egypt and and others it refers to black Africans south of the Sahara. And not to Africans, but to Americans whose ancestry can be traced to uh, sub-Saharan. So that's why it is 
uh, accepted that Barack Obama is an African American, uh, but I would not be, even though our histories, our life stories are somewhat similar in that mm -hmm. regard. But doing the research about, you know, my father's home country of Tunisia, Pan-Africanism was about the whole continent in and of itself. And it was about uh, rejecting the colonialism mm -hmm. that Europeans had imposed on it. Mm -hmm. So it's become a little bit different as the decades have gone by where African doesn't mean North Africa as much. Which is, I, I find to be, a, yeah, a little bit exclusive. Mm -hmm. Like, I see your African uh, necklace, uh, but I know that, uh, you know, somebody like Muammar Gaddafi, just pull a name out there, uh, isn't considered an African. Mm -hmm. uh, somebody, you know, or like me. I, I saw the release of Black Panther as a, uh, a boon to people of two different types. Uh, number one, dark-skinned black people from all over the world. And number two, those in Africa who had been affected by colonialism mm -hmm. and imperialism, mm -hmm. which is why I am able to speak French, because that's how I communicate with my relatives in Tunisia, a former French colony. Mm -hmm. And And we'll get to you know, Wakanda and what that means for, you know, and Afrofuturism, etc. Uh, but I I really dug the the whole, there was this place that wasn't touched mm. by colonialism or imperialism and, and was, it's allowed to develop in its own way. Mm -hmm. So I, I could have chosen to feel excluded. And I don't think that was Ryan Coogler's attempt at all. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't think he was, you know, doing a FUBU version of <laughs> uh, motion pictures. And if he did, I would just reject it and say, I'm, you know, enjoyed my own right. One of the other reasons that is, though, is that because I'm half Arab and half East Asian, with my father being from Africa... I'm a first generation. So many different mm -hmm. slots that I fit in, and none of them have seen representation in motion pictures. Mm -hmm. There's no, you know, outside of, you know, Chopsaki Kung Fu films, East Asian superheroes. Arab superheroes are almost unheard of. And unless you want to go like, really out there like black adam or simon baz the new green lantern and and like if you, you amadeus cho amadeus cho mm -hmm. yeah good uh kamala khan kamala khan isn't arab she's pakistani ah. and but but her um she's a muslim so that's that's a right. big deal even though these are all still very new though exactly they mm -hmm. are all very new i like so for somebody like me mm -hmm. who has never seen any type of representation and whatever representation there is is either uh, less than token or outright villainous mm. i have sort of like being i guess trying to be patient yeah because let me put it to you this way star trek nichelle nichols and william shatner share the first interracial kiss on television and 
I'm thinking, well, that's great, but I am pretty sure that black and white aren't the only races mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that there are there were other kisses between two different races that didn't happen to be black and white. Mm -hmm. So I, I felt a little bit, um, not so much erased, but sort of diminished. Mm -hmm. So it's like the only ones that matter, at least in American entertainment, are white or black. Yeah. And then you go to Hispanic and then further down the line you'll get to you know <laughs> where my relatives are from mm -hmm. i think it's great and i definitely noticed that and while i love seeing um my people represented in black things i also want to see other um, representation um, because i like learning about different people and different experiences and i know that you know i know the black experience, but I want to know what the Filipino experience is, what mm -hmm. the Guatemalan experience is, what the Arab experience is, definitely, especially because I'm even tired of seeing movies where the, the only Arab rep representation is a villain or a terrorist. Right. Now, um, here's another thing, though. What in the effort to increase representation, I don't like it when the representation is only positive. As if, like, it is impossible for a minority character to be a villain. Yes. <laughs> it's like, all right. Yeah. Well, okay. That leads me to another question. Um, so there's an actor. I think I forgot what his name is, but he's kind of like what I feel is the only Asian guy I see in, like, a lot of roles um, he John played Cho. maybe Dr. Ken and he played on The Hangover and like other Ken Jong. Yeah, oh. Ken Jong. He he kind of when I think of him like just comparing from my mm -hmm. experience, I th I think back to let's say back in the old times when black people had roles and all they played were cooks and nannies and like kind of coon characters. Mm -hmm. I see him because the roles I see him in aren't really serious and they kind of seem to be that silly buffoon type. And so I wonder, like, how Asians feel, uh, I guess specifically East Asians feel when they see him, like, are they glad that they at least have some representation or do they feel like, do they wish it could be like more well-rounded? I can't speak for all Asians in particular. And the very first time that I saw Ken Jeong was as the doctor in 40-Year-Old Virgin. And oh, yeah. his, because he that he was the consultant because he's a physician, mm -hmm. and they just gave him the part because he knocked it out of the park. His role as Chow in the Hangover movies is a terrible <laughs> role model, mm. but I think it's particularly funny because he just goes as, goes and embraces it. He's done other things. I, I rem he was like this manic, crazy, nerdy guy in uh, the third Transformers movie. Um, and I, I'm not mad at Ken Jong for, you know, the way he portrayed it. I'm mad that he was in the third Transformers movie <laughs> because he, it was a terrible movie. Yeah. Like, like, I'm mad at him, Francis McDormand, John Malkovich, Patrick Dempsey, Buzz Aldrin. My God, Buzz Aldrin was in <laughs> that was in movie. That? Yeah. Oh, See, wow. You can't even remember that. That's how bad it is. You don't remember <laughs> what happened in that movie. Oh, okay. Here we go. School me on this. The Tyler Perry phenomenon. That, I think, 
So I admit, like when I first saw his stage plays, um, I thought they were funny. And then when I saw some of the movies, they bothered me just because of the, I guess, the stereotypical image of like the angry black woman and and black men and and even like educated black people. And yes, I think his humor in his movies may appeal to people of a certain audience who can maybe more so relate to those things. I don't know. Well, then, see, the the way you're describing, you, you are right now being very diplomatic, but you're being diplomatic about other black people. Yeah. I can tell that. This is good because what this demonstrates is that black people are not a monolith when mm-hmm. it comes to being an audience. Mm-hmm. So when somebody says that this is for a black audience, that doesn't mean anything anymore Mm -hmm. okay you can't go to somebody black and automatically assume that they are going to see a tyler perry movie am i wrong (laughs) not at all because i probably won't (laughs) (laughs) i don't think i've seen one i don't know the last time i've seen a tyler perry movie i think the last one i saw was i can be bad all by myself i don't know that was the one that kind of like did it i saw family reunion and that that was like this can't be right this <laughs> this sets people back yeah but the thing is like even with medea i i still find some of it funny just because i see parts in that character and some of my some people that i know some very intimately so like that you're related to or that you perhaps grew up. <laughs> perhaps not like all but like you know just some here and there that actually brings up a a good thing it's like you know what about like arab representation you know and i see characters on screen spouting the most horrible like anti-semitic anti-american things and some people would say well that is so racist and here i am keeping my mouth shut saying i'm related to people who (laughs) have said exactly that I think we all have, no matter who you are, you have somebody in your family who, you know, might not be the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now, typical. now here we go. This is where it comes now to representation. When a character does something like that, that you know is authentic and it looks like it's a stereotype, but you know that that is real, that you can find that. How do you feel when you see that? sometimes sometimes I enjoy because I'm like oh my god I know that person but I guess it depends on the context like if that character seems just like flat and one dimensional and has I guess no other complexity to him or her or it's just like one note all the way through Mm -hmm. then that's what bothers me because I'm like they're no personality, yeah. no depth. Yeah, no depth. And, and no one like is a, like, like that. Like a caricature. Yeah. Like there's no reason behind what this person is doing. Exactly. Yeah. That's kind of how I felt about Medea. As a kid, I watched Tyler Perry because it was presented to me. When I was old enough to have some some thought process into what I was watching, I, I couldn't really stand it anymore. So I haven't really been into it. Because there's so many things where they, they take the... like you Like you said, they take these moments that are culturally relevant and then tie them to to other things or tie them to jokes so often and it kind of like 
often makes things very it loses the impact yeah yeah all right when we come back our review and commentary on black panther there's a fair chance you don't like the news i get that i'm buzz burbank and i do a different kind of newscast i think you will like I tell stories, true stories, because when you view it the right way, there's nothing more amazing than real life. I cover most of the stuff the big media outlets cover, but often with a different approach, richer in detail, and with a perspective that ties it all together so we have some idea of what it all means. I deliver stories that'll make you laugh, make you cry, and make you angry, because that is the nature of life, and because you cannot be a better citizen unless you understand and feel the news. I also don't cover some of the useless stories you'll find elsewhere and do cover real stories the rest of the media somehow managed to avoid. With my nearly 40 years experience in broadcast journalism and a love of writing, this is a news program that's custom made for you. Buzz Burbank News and Comment is now a weekly show, new each Thursday and available free on iTunes, SoundCloud and several other platforms and at buzzburbank.com. Ulysses Klaw plans to sell the vibranium to an American buyer in South Korea tomorrow night. Klaw has escaped our pursuits for almost 30 years. Not capturing him is perhaps my father's greatest regret. I wish to bring Klaw back here to stand trial. Wakanda does not need a warrior right now. We need a king. My parents were killed when he attacked. Not a day goes by when I do not think about what Claw took from us. From me? It's too great an opportunity to pass. Take me with you. We'll take him down together, side by side. They need you here, protecting the border. Then I ask, do you kill him where he stands? Or you bring him back to us? You have my word. I will bring him back. That was a clip from Black Panther featuring an all-star cast of mostly African-American, actually no, not really African-American, a lot of Brits are in that uh, scene. Some Caribbeans too? Yeah. Oh no, you're not that scene. Like to be more specific, uh, most of the cast is from all over the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, Winston Duke, he's American, but he was born in Barbados. Uh, Dan Kaluuya, he's a Brit. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o. I read she was born in Mexico, Yep. but she was raised in Kenya, went to school in... She went to Yale. Yes. And... Um, Tisha Wright's from Guyana, but she was raised in the UK. And uh, Dania... Uh, Daniel Kalua? No, no, uh, Gurira. Oh, Dania Gurira, yes. Yeah. She's Zimbabwe-American, I think? Her parents moved to the United States from Southern Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe. And then you have Angela Bassett, Forrest Whitaker, mm -hmm. Michael B. Jordan, and T'Challa himself, Chadwick Boseman, all American actors. H U, you know? <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Chadwick is a Howard grad. Ah, both of you are Howard? Yes. Yep. But oddly enough, we didn't meet at Howard. We mm. met after. So we have Black Panther here, and it, um, I enjoyed it very much. Uh, the rating that I gave it was four and a half out of five. 
uh, I had a bit of issues with uh, storytelling, especially Killmonger's story. Not not in terms of his motivation, but how he got there. Yeah, so I if agree. you haven't seen the movie, yeah, they we're going to be spoiling a lot. So uh, be forewarned. But, you should have seen it by now yeah. anyway, so that's on you. <laughs> Go yeah. see it, come back and listen. Right. Man, did Michael B. Jordan knock this one out of the yeah. park. Yes, he did. And I remember the first time I saw him, of course, was as, uh, oh my God, I can't even remember his name. Wallace? Wallace. <laughs> Thank you. Wallace, Wallace? in the wire. And I didn't think, like, you know, I, I didn't think he was that great of an actor. I, I thought he was, you know, he was a kid, yeah. you know. And um, But by the time he got to Friday Night Lights, there was something there. Which I never watched. Okay. And I'm actually ashamed to say I didn't see Fruitvale, Fruitvale Station either. Yeah. <gasps> But I uh, I saw him in Fan Four Stick, <laughs> <laughs> and that uh, was uh, uh, that was terrible. Not because of him, but it, that was terrible. But I saw him in Creed, and man, that was awesome. Yeah. And uh, you know, Ryan Coogler is um, I, now I have to see Fruitvale Station after seeing both Creed and Black Panther. So, um, what did it mean for you two? Josh, you go first. Oh, wow. It, it meant a lot. This was, I, I think, the first time where there was kind of a moment around a film that people were excited about, that you could look at the trailers and things and see positive images. You could see, I, I think for one, for, for Black Americans, and probably extends beyond that, it was a chance to see black people on the screen in a way that we'd never seen them before in this, this fantastical world in a world where, where they were front and center in which other characters were there but they were all secondary which okay yeah tokens i wouldn't even say tokens because they played a role i don't like them yeah. <laughs> but but definitely i, I think the representation centric, was centric yeah yes. the, the, this, it was their story right. peripheral instead of token you know, there's been like this whole thing about how Black Panther is the, you know, first black superhero. And then, of course, everybody's like, uh, what about Blade? Right. <laughs> what about Spawn? Heck, what even about Catwoman? Um, Ooh, let's not talk about right. it. Right. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, <laughs> when we talk about representation, it's like yeah. there has been representation before, but there is something different about this and i'm wondering though if it was really part of the hype machine definitely mm -hmm. and also who was behind it um in those other films there wasn't a black director there wasn't there weren't black writers there weren't uh black um production designers or at least in my memory we weren't told about it so that kind of plays into the hype that that the hype around this kind of told you all of these things that made you want to go see it as well it was sort of like a, a fubu <laughs> yeah. uh, for the MCU. Karen, what about you? I loved it. Uh, first of all, I loved who were behind the people behind it, um, specifically the director, the actors. I loved Denai Guerrero because I know her not only as an actor, even though I don't really watch Walking Dead that much, but I know her as a playwright. Mm -hmm. um, Lupita, love her. I saw Letitia Wright in the Black Museum episode of Black Mirror. Right. Loved that. Um, Chadwick Boseman. Love it. Michael Bay Jordan. Because um, he's Bay. 
<laughs> Not real bae, though. Um, I love that. Not and definitely... <laughs> <laughs> Definitely the images of seeing black people on screen telling a story, their, their story. And I love that it was set in Africa because uh, we're in a fictional African country. Growing up, I I did have people in my life who, I guess, taught me about African-American, but I feel like I didn't really know much about African culture and didn't learn that. And I've always wanted to see something like that in a fantasy setting or a superhero mm-hmm. setting And I saw that and it was great. And I especially love the dialogue that it um, inspired between um, Africans and African-Americans because there are definitely some issues that we have with each other. And this movie definitely brings up a great opportunity to discuss those things. And I hope that we can find um, common ground or more ways to relate to each other. I love the depiction of the women, of course, you know, strong women holding it down and specifically darker skinned women. Mm -hmm. I myself, I I guess, would be considered light skinned. Um, But and I've seen a lot of light skinned women in movies and TV represented. I've always wanted to see women who are darker skinned who look like, you know, my family members. And I have people that I know intimately, friends, family who kind of looked down on dark-skinned women or at least when we were younger they would make comments and i would Oh, like what? That. Like Well, okay, maybe not necessarily from what i heard about to dark-skinned women, but like if i told them like, "Oh yeah, i have a friend i want to meet" or my friend they're like, "Ooh, is she light-skinned? She got long hair." And i'm like, "What? Why does that matter?" She's as pretty. as a matter of like describing her? Yeah. Or often, um, often, like the beauty of a dark-skinned woman was often presented like with a qualifier, like "you're pretty for a dark-skinned girl." Yeah. Um, so I loved seeing that they could feel proud of seeing positive, strong mm-hmm. depictions, and that everybody didn't have long hair, long straight hair, and light skin. So mm-hmm. that was great. And yeah, it's just a feeling. I felt great coming out of the movie feeling empowered instead of angry because I felt like there was a couple years where all we had were slave movies and civil rights movies, which is great. And those stories are important and need to be told. But when you have like one after the other, it's like, I'm mad. I want to see more. There's more to us than that. That, that I think is a very, very good point because it's like what defines a black movie or a black experience movie and it's like well does it just have to be about the civil rights movement or about slavery and like yeah like i said the the messages may be good but it can be overbearing at times mm-hmm. and that's the only thing that you see and also to see movie where people were i guess attempting a different accent than like a british accent because i feel like in a lot of period pieces or (laughs) fantasy fantasy movies for some reason they speak with like a british or a faux british accent and i'm like but this isn't persia where does thor's accent come from right why does he talk like everybody you know that that's a that's a good thing speaking about representation okay so thor comes out they cast chris hemsworth and he's australian okay and everybody in Asgard speaks with a British accent. Not only do they populate, but the, the, there was controversy when they cast Idris Elba <laughs> as Heimdall. And it's like, what is this black Viking doing here in Asgard? That wasn't that big of a deal because he spoke in his natural British accent. So right. everybody spoke British except for... Hogan, the 
Japanese oh, yeah. guy. And that took me out of it when it's like, you know, well, we have to rescue Thor from Midgard. Yes, we are needed to go and rescue <laughs> Thor. <It's> like, what? <laughs> he may speak of the good of Asgard, but he's always been jealous of Thor. We should be grateful to him. He saved our lives. Love, he said. There were traitors in the house of Odin. A master of magic could bring three Jotuns into Asgard. Anybody who was like Rene Russo, who's American, uh, Zachary Levi, who's in um, the Dark World, he's American. He put on a British accent. Um, everybody put on a British accent. But it also purposefully put people of color in this realm that you wouldn't think of as populated by people of color. And so people got upset. It's like, oh, we, we, this isn't realistic. It's like, what do you mean realistic? Right. They're, in a magical world about... They're mythical beings. Right. <laughs> but now that there, there are whole bunches of think pieces, it's like, we haven't seen this kind of representation in a Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I touched on it earlier. It's like, well, that's not exactly true. We have. We have quite a bit and while the superheroes, the lead heroes themselves may not have been black, black presence was there throughout. And other races as well. And then, of course, we have Luke Cage. Yes. Which was an experience also. <laughs> an experience in his medium shirts. <laughs> yeah, baby! Now, what did you think of the nation of Wakanda and its depiction i think that's probably what what i was most excited about above everything was just this this idea of something that has never been or was not realized in in our world that i think could also speak to people beyond just those who just just a black audience just an african audience i think they could speak to anybody who has any connection to to colonization the fact that there's this this nation that somehow you know, withstood, you know, the, the, this tie that everybody else was, was wrapped up under and then was able to make this great technological elation, you know, from mm -hmm. that I think is amazing. And then just to see what they, what they did with it was, was really awesome. The fantastical aspect of an African nation untouched by the Western world uh, is an appealing thought. One of the things, though, that... Like, there is a sort of real-world example. There is an African nation that was never, ever colonized. Yeah. And it's Ethiopia. Ethiopia ain't exactly the best place in the world. It's definitely not Wakanda. But there's a reality to Africa as a whole. And it, it, it makes one wonder, what, what, what does this fantasy uh, depiction of Wakanda, what will that do for the psyche of not just Africans, but also African Americans who are trying to learn about yes. Africa? Can I have Yeah, to go. Say. So that was... Um, First of all, I loved Wakanda. I thought it was great. But one thing I wondered was what um, people who were from Africa, what they thought of it. I asked some of my coworkers um, and even some 
saw people post who were like maybe first generation and they all seemed to really like it. But yes, I did have reservations because I'm like, this is great that, you know, it's Wakanda is representation of an African country that hasn't been colonized, but it's not real. And at my job, I'm learning a lot because I'm working with um, a team that works in Africa and on in the region. And I'm just learning a lot about what's going on currently. And part of me was bothered because I'm like, it's, it's great that we have this fantasy, but there are still things going on. And hopefully it can, I guess, kind of draw our attention to some of the things that are going on. And maybe we can find a way to still be connected and help if it's at all possible. Um, there was somewhere I was going with it. Well, that's sort of like the message that T'Challa has at the end. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, to, to stop being isolationist and to help people if you can do that. Yes, definitely. So I'm, I'm so tired of reading think pieces. I actually hate them, but I can't help reading them sometimes. Mm-hmm. There was one that um, my boss showed me. She hadn't read it yet, but I looked it up. It was um, an op-ed in the Washington Post, and it was saying that Black Panther actually depicts a regressive neo-colonialist Africa because it's still being ruled by, I guess, like a royal family. It's not a democracy, which is something that my boss actually brought up. Like She wonders why they weren't a democracy, why it was still ruled by royal family. Mm-hmm. And not just that, but that Killmonger could just waltz up in there and take over so easily. And that it seems kind of out of place or odd that the nation couldn't have stopped him sooner or they didn't have anything in place to stop him. That actually is is going to tie into what uh, I was going to say, what it would have brought up. It's about tradition and the uh, value of tradition and the downside of sticking to it because that's how killmonger was able to do it Mm. he took advantage of this cultural tradition and that's how he usurped the throne he actually didn't necessarily he followed the rules he did he followed the rules according to this society and it it's um and it was time to acknowledge that maybe some of these rules aren't that good Mm -hmm. That's why my favorite character was Shuri. Mm. And her, you know, because she was the tech, you know, mm. and she was all about, you know, new and, and stuff. And she hated being, you know, wearing this corset and she wanted to get out of it. <laughs> yes. She was, and that that type of the, the, the new blood uh, going against uh, the tradition is something that spoke to me. But the, that's... um. That's what got everybody into trouble when um, they followed this tradition and the Dora Milaje just decided to keep, just go on. Even though they didn't want to, they you know, had this duty, this responsibility to the king. You know, the people didn't uh, uh, elect this guy. The, um, it was just it was a trial by combat. And is that any more or less civilized? Well, well, yeah, it actually is less civilized, and we see the results of that. So that was the one of the downsides of uh, seeing a nation untouched by Western imperialism, is that there were, democracy was not a factor in how they chose their leadership. You know, this is, after all, like a, a comic book mm-hmm. world, and... 
I don't know. That's that's the world that was created. Th- that actually is a you, you touched. You know, this is a comic book world. There are so many. At least, I, maybe because I'm looking for them. Maybe because my news feed is uh, tailored for me to you know ha- highlight these stories, but. I'm seeing all of these think pieces on Black Panther and like the Washington Post, New York Times, The Atlantic, Daily Beast, HuffPo, etc. And some of the more serious ones are, you know, the, the very, very critical ones about, you know, representation or, you know, just going off. It's like, this is based off of a comic book. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you, are we not appreciating how far we've come? Since, you know, Iron Man? Right. When when Iron Man came out, that was like a risk. It was a really big deal. Now that it's a, like a standard form of entertainment, people have forgotten how fringe yeah. this <laughs> was. So when I saw, I remember seeing a, a headline saying, now is the time for a storm movie. Like, d- we just got Black <laughs> Panther. Right. We just had Guardians of the Galaxy. I'd never heard of Guardians of the Galaxy before right. Guardians came out. What? And even as a Marvel fan, that wasn't the Guardians team that I was used to. So I was like, who are these people? Right. It's, it's, um, there's that saying, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Yeah. And I'm wondering how much of that is happening right now. I, I'm wondering how how much well-meaning progressives are shooting themselves in the foot by complaining about something that is a real, relatively new phenomenon. Not relatively. It is a new phenomenon. I think part of it is it, it fills this space that had such a big void before, and so people are trying to, you know, cling to it in any way that they can. And it's just, it's just one piece in this large space, and it can't, it can't hold all of that. I think people want it to be so much more than than what it was, and it it it, it can't be a movie about black liberation and a movie about pan Africanism and a movie about uh, anti colonialism and all of these things, and still have a, a a story that fits into the the greater story of them fighting Thanos at the end of this. So it's like, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like this is still a comic book. We have to just appreciate, you know, let let's let's appreciate the story for what it can do, and then maybe we can influence, you know, later iterations, or maybe we can influence other filmmakers to do those other things but i mean it can't it can't do everything and can we chill for a minute and like let other people have their superheroes too one of the things that also another thing is that um there were uh praise on the uh strength of the female characters which Mm -hmm. ryan coogler was definitely um prioritized and then you know you can start then i started hearing like complaints about how some of the female characters were shortchanged like or the like some weren't given enough screen time uh in favor of other things and i'm like it's called black panther <laughs> like where is like t'challa actually is one of the least developed characters yes. in the movie don't freeze i never freeze Get Out, mm. one of the best movies of last year. And there were so many opinions about Get Out. Originally made just as a horror movie, but it had something to say. 
But that something to say then became the priority. It's like the message became what the movie was about. And that's what I'm seeing Black Panther turning into. It's like Black Panther isn't about a guy in a cat suit with, you know, with vibranium. And and it's now about the story of the African diaspora (laughs) and anti-colonial sentiment. Forgetting that there were war rhinos in the end of the movie. Yeah, I think there are definitely those things in there. And I think we as um, an audience tend to attach or project maybe our own perspective onto things at times. I have um, read things from like um, different, like maybe poets, writers, um, artists who they just wrote something or made a work about something specific and somebody else attached a whole other meaning that they didn't intend. And they're like, Oh, okay, sure. Go with it. Where I I think it's that art thing where it's like art is an eye of the beholder or something. Right. Or death of the artist. Yeah. Yeah. Here's, here's another thing that I'm I'm going to get to. And it has to do with black lightning. So black Panther shows this mythical world. Okay. It's, it's almost a, a, a wish fulfillment world. One could interpret it as a wish fulfillment for dark-skinned people all over the world. And as a result, it's a fantasy. I'm going to play a clip from an interview with uh, Nafisa Williams and China Ann McLean on, uh, with, with Seth Meyers. Thank you. Uh, the show is already incredibly popular. What is it about the show that you feel viewers are connecting with so early in its run? Uh, well, I feel like the show, even though it is about a superhero and a superhero family, it's very rooted in reality. Like when it comes to a superhero like mm-hmm. Superman, it's very fantastical. And you don't feel like you walk outside and be like, oh, it's a bird, it's a plane. You know <laughs> yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Like, but with Black Lightning, you feel like you could see him walking down the street. And you're yeah. like, oh, there's our neighborhood hero. Yeah. I think it's very relatable. Like she said, he, he's a guy in your neighborhood. He's, he's the, the father figure that you want within the community, which makes it... Pretty authentic and relatable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it does use actual, I mean, it uses racism. It uses gun violence. Um, yeah. Was that something that drew it to? I mean, again, I assume when you first get a script and you hear it's about a comic book hero, mm-hmm. you might not expect those things to be in there. Were you excited when they were? Yeah, I love the fact that the show really tackles real issues. Yeah. And the CW lets us be unapologetically black. Yeah. <laughs> That's you know? good. That's a good thing to be. Yeah, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Absolutely. <laughs> unapologetically black in contrast to black panther do you think that you know one is more or less legitimate than the other in terms of blackness i don't think so i think the fact that we have them both at the same time is actually kind of great because it gives us a lens to see the way that it's experienced in different ways Mm -hmm. there's also the fact that Black Lightning is an American character. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, specific to the Black American experience. What is it about Black Panther that makes him a superhero to look to, as opposed to someone like Black Lightning? What do you mean as far as... What? What's the appeal? Like, um, is T'Challa any more or less a Black superhero than Virgil Hawkins 
or Jefferson Pierce, or Aurora Monroe, or Luke Cage. I don't know who half of those people are. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> uh, that was my nerd card buzzer. Is Black Panther more or less a superhero than Storm, Luke Cage, Static, Black Lightning? I don't think so. I mean, he doesn't have like physical powers, but he has vibranium and stuff. Mm-hmm. I, um, well, he, he does have powers because he's the heart-shaped herb juice that he drinks. Oh, right. So how, how does his skin color play a part in in how audience members should perceive him? Black Panther, I'm talking about. The reason I ask is because Black Lightning is, as was stated in the interview, unapologetically black. The issues around the show and around the character are about black American life and the struggles that are portrayed in today's world with race, gangs, guns, violence, police brutality, etc. I think maybe it's the stories surrounding the two that uh, make them different. Yes, Black Lightning is more a black American experience where um, T'Challa's story might be more relatable to other people in that at least in the movie there's like a family issue between um him and his cousin and even with him and his father learning out what finding out what his father Mm -hmm. did um his father coming down in his own eyes and then there's this sense of trying to do what is right do i protect my homeland my family my tribe or do i open it up to let other people in yeah (laughs) (laughs) tough questions yeah really making me think (laughs) Here's another one, and uh, touching on what, what you said about uh, T'Challa and confronting the, the legacy of his father. The cultural importance of family and your elders and your ancestors, There's, uh, and this extends through all cultures, is that you look to your elders for guidance yeah. and you look to them for wisdom and to the point of it's like almost blind obedience. And then you have, you know, a character like Shuri, who just says, no, I'm doing my own thing and I'm going to screw tradition. And then there's somebody like T'Challa who is, you know, honor bound by tradition because he was born into that. Then he finds out the sins of his father. At a cultural level, how powerful do you think that is to cultures that, revere their elders without question i i think it's very powerful because i feel like pretty much there comes a point in time in a lot of people's lives in which you discover that your parents or somebody you respected in your family might find out something about them that kind of makes them it changes them in your eyes and might let you down and be disappointed and that's something you have to struggle with so I guess, you know, for me, the watching T'Challa call his old man out is a bit of wish fulfillment. <laughs> and I'm wondering how, I, yeah, how realistic that is. How, how will that translate to, ge- you know, present generations who are watching this movie? You know, are, are there people who, because um, I know that there are people who, who watched it and said, yeah, Killmonger was right. It's time to rise up 
And then there are people who are like, uh, Killmonger's uh, just like his name. He just wants to kill everybody and he wants to, all he cares about is the same, imposing the same imperialism that wrecked Africa. Well, one of the things that you just brought up um, about Killmonger is I think people get attached to his words and don't pay attention to his actions as much. Because mm. what he's saying is, 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 for the most part, very true. His motivations are, 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 are solid. But then what he actually does doesn't actually follow them. Because he's talking about things that are black liberation. But what he's doing is kind of leading more towards like imperialism. He pretty much says that. He doesn't want the sun to set on the Wakandan Empire. It's like, didn't the Britons say that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like, didn't the colonizers say those exact words? And there was a quote that, maybe it's on here, that I saw. Yeah, the master's tools cannot dismantle the master's house. It's like, he pretty much says it in the film that he's trying to use the tactics that he learned at MIT, at West Point, in the military to undo the system that created it. And it's like, you can't do it that way. You can't use the exact same system to undo itself. All right, quick takes. Josh, you first. Give me the good and the bad on Black Panther. Uh, yeah. The good was um, seeing this fully realized world and seeing so many great things. And of course, I enjoyed the action. It was really great. Bad? The bad, I wanted to know a lot more about what made Killmonger into Killmonger. Like, we got what started him, but we didn't get the full story of how he got to practically sociopath at the end. Karen, good and bad about Black Panther. Good, everything. <laughs> I loved uh, the visuals. I think um, the storytelling, the acting was Your great. favorite line? Yeah, <laughs> hey, auntie, my favorite yeah, line. Because it was like such a nuanced thing that definitely I see my cousins or somebody I know say. I said that in my text, um, not even channeling Killmonger, but it's how I text my aunt. The bad, some people need to work on their accents. Like uh, the old woman, I loved her, but every time she spoke, I cracked up. Yeah, some people's accents were, but you know. I'll give you my um, good and bad. Good, I loved watching um, the character of Killmonger. He was undoubtedly a villain, but a villain that I enjoyed watching. It's it's one of those where it's like, you know, you're nodding along with him and with what he says, and then you're like, oh, okay, right, yeah. Um, Shuri, I love Shuri. Oh, Winston Duke as Mbaku. Yes. Yes. The, the, you know, you speak again, I will feed you to my children. Yes. And here's the thing. When I thought, when he said that, I was like, that could very well possibly be true. And then he just, (laughs) we're vegetarians. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was wonderful. The bad. Bad? Oh, oh, the bad. (laughs) That lip plate, okay, I, that's gross. I don't care who you are, but that's messed up. Body modification is one thing, okay? I had issues already with Killmonger's scarring. His, his, his ritual scarring all over his body, that, that just, like, weirded me out. I heard that's a thing. It, called trypophobia or something like that. Right, like with like a, like a lotus thing. Yeah, you see those, or tripe or, you know, yeah. But 
just just the fact of like you know going through all of that to make your body so ah that's one thing but the the plate the lip plate with you know that's you gotta agree with me that that's gross i liked it because it's, it rang as authentic to me i think he actually does that like the actor or the guy himself actually mm-hmm. does that in real life it did well i also think gauges are are gross yeah it it did kind of creep me yeah, out like I mean, how does he talk yeah i mean it was is a little creepy but at the same time it's like but there are tribes that still do that so i was i was happy to, to see that represented so but right yeah it definitely like yeah if you haven't seen it or just like especially seeing him talk with it it's just it is a little it's off-putting definitely all i could think about was like just it could be some sort of carnival game where you try to flip a coin into his plate from a distance and if you get it you win a prize like a little gram of vibranium or something <laughs> but yeah that that just weirded me out <laughs> one thing we forget i know i forget is that what makes wakanda great and what makes wakanda wakanda is a vibranium so <laughs> if we didn't even speak about vibranium at all have we? we haven't which is yeah so even if they're were an African nation that was untouched by colonialism, they probably wouldn't have vibranium. But it could Not be to say that it wouldn't for be. the resources of the continent that were right. diamonds true. or um, gold, and yeah, oil, yeah. oil, yeah. So definitely some energy source, yeah, yeah. But yeah. that, yeah, that the, the whole people say that you know uh, Black Panther wasn't really tied in to the rest of the Marvel universe, and well. It, it's the vibranium yeah. that is. And, and that might be where that last infinity gem is. Ooh. We shall Ooh, see. There you go. Infinity War. It's coming up. Are you ready? Are you ready? I gotta uh, watch all the I'm so ready. <laughs> I am so ready. And that's it for this episode of Arts Review and Commentary. My good thanks to Karen L. and Josh Thomas for joining me in the studio today. Karen, do you have anything you want to plug? Um, Instagram actress Karen L. That's Karen K A R E N E L L E, all one word. Twitter actress Karen L. That's actress spelled the Spanish way A C T R I Z K A R E N E L L E. Thank you, Josh. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at thirteen. That's T H Y R T E E N and look for some of my writing on fanbros.com. Excellent. Like this show on Facebook at facebook.com slash arcreviews. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at arcreviews. And don't forget to shop Amazon and Fandango at artsreviewandcommentary.com. My name is Omar Latiri, and this is Arc. The preceding presentation was brought to you by... The Realm Network. Well, he's watching uh, Good Times. And it was the episode, and I remember watching the episode, the episode where Janet Jackson's character oh. gets burned by the iron. Yeah. That's like classic good times. Yeah. It's like, there's that, and then there's the one after, um, 
what's his face passes away and Florida's like, damn, damn, damn. James. <laughs> right, James. 